0: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. We continually are trying new things with the show. So if you'd like new questions or you have any new suggestions for us, feel free to reach out. We're happy to hear it. A couple of you listeners have, and we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to be on the show as either a millionaire interview or as a guest interview, please feel free to reach out. We're happy to have anybody on. We've had many guest interviews who aren't yet millionaires, but are on their way to becoming such. So also, we have some multifamily investing opportunities uh, in both the southwest and the northeast regions. We've continually had high IRRs and success, and we're partnering with a couple guys that have a great track record of success. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, if you're interested in investing, please feel reach. Please feel free to reach out. We continue to work on uh, audio quality and other things with the show. So thanks again for tuning in and listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. So on today's show, we have KT. And KT has a current net worth of about $1.9 million. He's 51 years old and plans to retire in four years at the age of 55. He actually inherited $1 million from his father. And so he tells the story about that, about how his father saved up the money and how he was able to learn from that inheritance and then how he's been able to grow that money. He holds about nine hundred thousand in a taxable brokerage account with two hundred and fifty K specifically invested in a bond fund. He mentioned that he only invests about seventy percent of his net worth and that he's extremely risk adverse. He has two hundred and fifty thousand in home equity and about thirty percent in of his net worth in syndicated real estate deals. and he's invested in about seven deals with anywhere from fifty to one hundred thousand dollars in each deal. He provides great advice on learning to say no, and also how to take care of and grow an inheritance if you receive one, and also has strong feelings and advice for a 529 plan for kids' college. So without any further comments, let's get into the interview with KT.
0: Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. Today on the show, we've got KT. KT, do you want to just give us a little about your
2: background and what you're doing now? Um, Sure. I uh, am in the automotive industry as a sales trainer. I've been doing that for many, many, many years. Um, that's my day job. I do plan to retire in four years at the age of 55, which got me into the FIRE community to begin with. FIRE meaning, you know, financial independence and retire early. And I uh, started a blog, and um, I post about, you know, very I'm, I'm very transparent, and I, and I post about you know, very candid subjects—things that other people won't talk about, or people that, are, or, other bloggers don't blog about. I blog about those things. Good stuff. And what is your net worth today? A uh, little over one point nine million. And how is that broken up? Um, about two hundred sixty thousand in home equity. Um, I've got close to nine hundred thousand in a taxable brokerage account. Uh, my, uh, unlike a lot of people, my 401k IRA and my tax deferred savings is actually rather small. It's about um, $125,000. Um, I started late, which I don't uh, you know, advise anybody to do, but I started really late. But on the other hand, uh, because I'll be retiring soon, I'm not gonna have to tap any of those to, to live on. I've, I've got the majority of my money in taxable accounts. But uh, so I got a brokerage account, Uh, I've got uh, about 10% invested in a bona fide hedge fund. And I've got over 30% of my net worth invested in syndicated real estate crowdfunding. And then I keep quite a bit of cash. I've got, uh, as of, uh, well, over the weekend I had about 18% in cash. And after today I bought into this market sell off, I've got, I'm down to about 6% cash. I bought pretty aggressively.
0: Good stuff. So, do you want to walk us through a little bit, you know, you mentioned that you started late, was, was that just because you weren't sure or because of the way your income scale had gone or, or just not, you know, interested in investing, all of a sudden then you got real interested in it and built your net worth to $2 million. how did that kind of happen?
2: <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of people out there are like me, they, they at one time had a lot of tax loss carry forward. And I lost quite a bit of money in 2001, 2002, in the early part of 2003. I'm talking the dot-com bust, okay? I made money in 2008, but that's another story. But back, you know, years ago, um, I lost about $210,000 in, you know, investing in all these high-flying Qualcomms and internet stocks. And uh, there was one everybody probably remembers from way back, I Omega. That was another one, Um, pets.com, you know, all those dot coms that blew up. Um, I was invested in those. And I got greedy and everything else. Well, I've had so much tax loss carry forward up until recently, up until maybe 2009, that I just thought, you know, any gains I make from here on out is going to be tax free. So why put all this money in deferred, Tax savings like IRAs and Roth IRA and 401K and all that. When I'm going to be tax free for a long time. Well, now that I'm not tax free anymore, I have made all that money way back up. Um, I wish I had went ahead and done it. I, that was the wrong decision. I wish I had put a, as much away and maxed out my 401K every year that I could. So,
1: so. I want to go back to to the uh, 900,000 in, in the taxable brokerage account. How do you have that invested?
2: Um, I have. 250000 in a bond fund, the ticker symbol is S-E-M-M-X. It's uh, the Simper MBS Total Return Fund. It is a fantastic mutual fund that pays monthly. It's in um, low-risk mortgage-backed securities. It's managed by a capable team, and I have quite a bit of my money in there because the cash flow off of that is so consistent, and the NAV is so stable. Um I Like I told you, I had some money in that brokerage account that was in just uh, Schwab's, you know, highest yielding money market, which right now is about 1.9%. Um, I do have some ETFs, and I also sell puts. So instead of buying a stock, I'll, like if there's a stock I like, like I don't know, Kimberly Clark is a good example. been trading around $100 a share, 105 for the last couple of months. It's a consumer staple stock. Instead of buying that stock and tying up all that capital, I sell puts on that stock. So I, ca- I capture the premium, and most of the time the puts expire worthless, and I've kept all that premium. If the stock were to fall below the strike price, then, of course, that stock would be put to me, but I would own it at a lot lower price than it's currently trading at. So I do a lot of that as well. So that ties up some of my um, account capital or my margin, as they call it. Um, but that's been a, and, and I posted about that, but that's been a very um, consistent, lower risk um, investment that I've been doing for the last couple of years. And it's actually lower risk than you would think. If, um, that comprises quite a bit of my capital is I sell puts uh, on stocks and, and ETFs each and every month.
1: Okay, gotcha. Do you know what your IRR, your that, returns that have been? I
2: bet. Oh, IRA returns. My return is ten to eleven percent a year. Um, I do better or outperform the market in down years, and I underperform the market in up years. So when the S and P is up twenty percent, you can count on me only being up, you know, 12 percent at most.
1: And has your allocations changed through the years, your portfolio allocation, or have you kind of kept it that same way?
2: I tell you, I've, at my most bullish, I might only be about 60% long because the only thing that an investor can control is risk. You can't control anything else. You can't control um, Trump tweeting. You can't control the next time the rocket man in North Korea um, threatens the U.S. You can't control the Fed and what they're going to do with the rates but what you can control is risk. So for my way of controlling risk is to hold a lot of cash or fixed income investments and be light on the stock side. So you asked me, has my allocation changed? Not really, if anything, I'm, you know, I'm four years away from retiring. So in retiring early, as a matter of fact, I'm more and more cautious. Now I do take advantage and exploit opportunities like today, I had a lot of cash on the sidelines and I bought in today aggressively. But, you know, when the market's up four, five, six, eight percent over the next six, eight weeks or whatnot, uh, when all this trade talk goes away, and um, then we'll have another worry to worry about. But in the interim, when that happens and the market pops, I'll be out of all those purchases I made today.
1: Gotcha. I want to ask you about your real estate. You said you have about 30 uh, percent in real estate. Mm-hmm. So, what is that, a few hundred thousand, if you, if you count off that 70% invested?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, actually, a little over half a million in um, real estate crowdfunding. Um, I discovered and, this about two two years ago, and it's a way for an investor to that wants to invest in real estate like I did. I always wanted to invest in real estate. But I don't want to own a rental property. I don't want to own – I don't want to be a landlord. I don't want to have to chase after people who, you know, with eviction notices. I don't want to get a phone call at 3 in the morning that a pipe burst. I I don't want to deal with all that stuff. And so the way I've been able to do it is through this platform of real estate crowdfunding. And I cherry pick and select what I want to invest in, whether it's multifamily, whether it's office space, whether it's um, hotels. Um, hospitals and office, um, medical offices, you name it. It's almost like there's subsectors within the real estate market. And you can invest in whatever you want to invest in. And so I try to invest in the most favorable, favorable um, opportunities. And I also look at risk, in, even in that. And what I mean by that is um, – I wouldn't want to invest in San Diego, San Francisco, some of these hot markets. You got to You got to look at a lot of things. You got to look at the macro. You know.
1: Yeah. So let's dive into your investments. So maybe how many how many different uh, you know deals have you invested in, and what's the average amount you've invested in each deal?
2: I've now invested in seven, and um, the minimum I've invested is twenty five thousand. Uh, the maximum I've invested is a hundred, and. Um, two of these investments are actually um, lending funds to where they actually offer bridge loans. And so I, you're, you're in real estate. So I I went to a buddy of mine who's a real estate investor. And when they brought this offering to me on this fund that invests in bridge loans and they're short term in nature, they're up to maybe 18 months and they're um, provided, they're providing capital to developers and, uh, I asked a good buddy of mine who's a real estate investor. I said, let me ask you a question. Who defaults on bridge loans? And his answer was nobody. He says nobody is going to de- – a developer is not going to default on a bridge loan. That would be just stupid because they always have to bring money to the table, and in a lot of cases, the developer is going to put hundred grand or more into it, and um, they're not going to default on that. And so I – um Invested in two different ones. I've got fifty in one of the funds and a hundred in the other of the funds, and they pay monthly. And one pays eight percent preferred return, and then once a year they pay the overage. And uh, this year it was three percent, so because it ended up making eleven percent last year. And then the other one uh, pays a preferred return of ten percent, and then it pays the overage um, every year as well. So. Um, So I've got bridge loans. I've got uh, multifamily complexes. I've got um, an office space in Denver, Colorado that I invested in that's fully uh, leased. Um, Almost everything that I've invested in has either been at least 85% leased at the time of the investment um, and or I look at the cap rate. And I also look at the LTV and I know a lot of your listeners that may not know all these things, but it's easy to Google, you know, LTV, loan to value and what that means. You know, if you can find an opportunity that's 65% LTV, that's a bargain. If you can find something, and I don't know if you can even find anything now that's a 9% cap rate, that's a good cap rate. Most of them are probably now down in the sevens, I would imagine. Um, But those are the type of things I invest in.
0: Good stuff. So one thing that's interesting about your story that you shared with us before the show was that you've inherited a little bit of your money. Do you want to just talk a little bit mm-hmm. about about that and about that process and maybe what that individual did, you know, to kind of set themselves up financially, that they were able to be so generous and, and, you know, eventually give you an inheritance and maybe some other people?
2: Yes, absolutely. So my father passed away in December of two thousand thirteen. He had been an oil man. Um, we live in Texas, and that's that's Texas. I mean, there's a lot of oil in Texas. And he was a CPA that specialized in oil and gas uh, accounting. And it's a special type of accounting because you have to do depletion accounting. Uh, oil wells are a depleting asset. And so you're able to – it's a huge tax savings to own a lease or own – an oil well, or even for oil companies to, uh, drill. There's a whole lot of, uh, tax savings by doing that because it's a depleting asset. And so he did that type of accounting and because he did that type of an account uh, of accounting, he was always privy to new deals going on. So like if they're going to drill in Oklahoma, he would get with whoever his client was and say, Hey, include being on that, how much, you know, sort of like me with the real estate crowdfunding, he put 25 or 50,000 into uh, a deal and sometimes they hit dry holes. And, but most of the time uh, after all the geological studies and such um, they were very favorable and, and he, you know, had all these parcels and all these um, leases everywhere. And so that's really how he grew his net worth. Now, keep in mind, he was feast or famine for a couple of decades because You know, oil has, um, you know, 70s and 80s, it it was literally boom and bust. And he lived through it all. But when he passed away, his um, estate was just north of $7 million. He was never in a state of want. Let's put it that way. Um, His oil leases at the time of his death were paying him a monthly income of over $40,000 a month. Wow. in this, you know, in, in your 80s, you know, and the beauty is, yeah, you follow the price of oil, but your investments in the sort of like my real estate investments, they're not priced every day, as we call it in the industry, mark to market. So, you know, if you own a stock portfolio, guess what? Every, every second, your your portfolio is being valued. At the end of the day, if you own mutual funds, your portfolio is being valued. If you own real estate, your properties are not being valued every day, um, maybe only once a year. Same with oil and oil wells and, and oil leases and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it follows oil, but he did some neat things. He When, when oil got kind of ty- toppy, um, he sold off some of his leases and it started investing in oil storage and transportation, and because they got to store that oil somewhere, when there's especially when there's a glut, and so he had the foresight to do those types of things. So he passed away. Um, I got with his financial guy at Merrill Lynch and my mother, and we had, we had three had a meeting, and I said, look, we need to sell off some of these uh, leases. We got to sell off some of these investments. And of course my mom was sentimental and she got teary eyed. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell. And I had the Merrill Lynch guy there because he knew we needed to diversify her. And so, and at the time she was 75 and he said, look, you're going to be crying in your soup if oil drops to $30 a barrel. And it's kind of uncanny that he made that statement because when my father died, oil was trading at $84 a barrel. It went up to about 101 a barrel in early 2014. So I gave him the order to get on the phone and start calling and trying to find people on the other side of this transaction that would purchase the oil leases. Well, guess what? From 84 to 101, those leases, which are usually illiquid, were very liquid. Everybody wanted to invest in oil. Everybody wanted to get their hands on it. So we sold his investments at very favorable prices. And keep in mind, when your spouse inherits your money or when your family inherits something, the cost basis is newly established at the time of their death. So it's not like even though out of that $7 million, probably six of it would have been 100% capital gains if he had sold before his death. But after his death, that $7 million was pretty much tax-free. Yeah, you got to step up in basis. The step up. Yeah, the step up in basis. So we sold 90% of all those holdings, re-diversified her, put her in preferred stocks, put her in some bonds, and we bought individual bonds where you don't have to worry about prices fluctuating with interest rate risk because you hold them to maturity. And we did those type of things with my mom. And now she has a beautiful portfolio. It's in really solid companies and solid uh, investments. So anyway, not to, to, to digress too, too much. My father left me 1 million left her the rest. And so She's taken care of. She doesn't have a worry in the world. She's got peace of mind. Um, I have a lot of peace of mind, and I'm going to tell you. So money, tr- it's true, money doesn't buy happiness, but I'll tell you what it buys you. It buys you a great deal of peace of mind. A great
0: deal. That's cool. It's a really cool story. So one other question, you know, in dealing with inheritance, what what have you done from that experience to kind of set yourself up and 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 your family up going forward in the future?
2: Okay. Well, I um, I wanted to generate cash flow, but I didn't want to put all that money at risk. Now, smart thing would have been to put all of it, a hundred percent, invested in stocks and in ETFs in December 2013. Because what are the what's the market done over the last five years, right? But or uh, four years. Um, but I'm not that. Into taking that much risk, so I didn't do my my best friend in the whole world. Is he inherited a lot of money himself? He's forty six years old. He's retired. He's worth in the neighborhood of ten twelve million dollars. Okay, he advised me, and he's my closest friend and my closest advisor, and uh, my most trusted advisor. And he feels the same way about me. And the thing is, we. Neither one of us, I'm his only friend, and it's because he feels that everybody else has an ulterior motive, but he knows I don't. And so um, we, uh, oh, he advised me, don't change your lifestyle for one year after you've inherited this money. Don't make any major purchases. Don't go buy that Audi that you want, and don't go buy a new house, and don't go live high on the hog and live large. Put your money in something safe. Maybe do a laddered CD for a year and just don't do anything drastic. And so I followed his advice. Now, I didn't do it for a full year because what I wanted to do was refinance my mortgage and put some cash in on the refinance. And I did. And I'm going to tell you all something. So I've got a house that's valued at $420,000. My house note on that house is $395 a month on a $400,000 home. And it's because of the way I refinanced it. I did a seven-year arm. And I also, and I put some, a lot of cash into it. And so now I owe about $168,000 in that property. And on any given morning, I could wake up and say, you know what, I'm just going to stroke that mortgage company a check and pay it off. I can do that at any moment. That's the good thing about having peace of mind. So that's, pretty much it. I mean, that's, I, I invested a little bit in, in uh, well, like I said, up to now about 30% in real estate. Um, I haven't made any real purchases. I'm, I'm very um, frugal, very, very frugal. Um, I will say about the one thing I did do, but it's not related to the inheritance. I was in Vegas I go to Vegas two or three times a year, but I don't go because I'm a gambler. I go because we love the shows. Like two months ago, I took my daughter. It's her 21st birthday. I took her to go see J-Lo in concert. Fantastic time, just the two of us. We had a terrific time. She's never been to Vegas before and that. I, paid, I played the penny slots the whole time I was with her because she's never gambled before. I said, let's go find a penny slot machine. I gave her 50 bucks. I took 50 bucks, and we played on the penny slots, okay? Okay. Um, Well, I was playing on dollar slots, oh, three years ago. And when I say dollar slots, I I had a hundred bucks, stuck it in a dollar slot machine. About 10 minutes into it, I won a $43,000 progressive. (laughs) And I didn't know what the hell happened. Because I'm going to tell you something, when it happened, I didn't know. My mom was sitting next to me. i take her to Vegas and she's freaking out. What did I just do? And she said, you just won the first progressive. And I said, what is that? I didn't even know what it was. And she explained it to me. And yeah, I'll tell you this. We almost missed our plane because it took about 45 minutes to get my money out of that that uh, uh, casino. It was the Golden Nugget in downtown Las Vegas. <laughs> and, um, but I I got the money. And, uh, yeah, they cut me a check. They, they take out the taxes, to the state nebotic taxes and that sort of thing. So here's my one indulgence. I went – I've always wanted one, and I finally said, screw this. I'm never going to be a state of want again. I want a Rolex. So I went and I purchased a Rolex Submariner, and I bought my wife a ladies' date just and she wears hers every day, and I wear mine every day, and it's just something I wanted. And some people will say that's very indulgent, and other people say, well, you're wearing your ego on your wrist when you do that. Well, you know what? Screw all that. I've always wanted a Rolex, but I was never going to spend the money. I could never justify spending whatever it was. I I spent $7,200 on it. I said, I can't justify that. But once I won $43,000, I can justify a lot at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why they put those stores right outside the casinos. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So
1: I want to I go back to the house. How come you don't pay it off?
2: Um, you know, it's funny you asked me that because I had planned to pay, that up, pay this completely off last year. My CPA advised me against it, and she gave me a couple of reasons. But the first thing she said, I said, why wouldn't you want me to pay this off? And she says, okay, number one, she says, I have a lot of wealthy clients. Do you want me to tell you what the wealthy do? And I said, please do. She said, rich people get as long a mortgage as they can, put as little down as possible, and they finance it all. And they finance as much money as they can at a low rate because rates are so low. And she says, number two, I don't want you to give up any liquidity. And she said, number three, if you search around, you can find you a very good, high-yielding money market. Take the, the balance of your mortgage and stick it in a money market. And then the rate you're getting paid minus – or subtracted from the rate you're paying the mortgage company, it's going to be a very little effective interest rate. So she's right. So what I did was I was able to find a money market at the time – that was yielding 1.3%. That's now yielding 2%. So think about this. I refinanced the mortgage at 2.8%. I'm getting paid 1.3% on, a, on that same amount of money that I have in the mortgage. So now my effective rate I'm paying is only 1.5%. Then when you subtract out the mortgage interest deduction, Now we're talking I'm only paying about 1.2%. So who wouldn't mortgage a house for 1.2%? Anybody would, whether they have the cash to buy the house or not. That's me, and that's what I did. And I think that was some of the best advice she ever gave me. It's some of the very best, most sound advice.
1: I want to go into uh, Uh, mistakes and advice. What big mistakes have you made investing and through your financial journey? And and what advice do you give somebody who's either starting off or or on their way?
2: Okay. I want to make this a twofold answer. I wanted to make sure I made this point. I wrote this down before our, our interview, our talk tonight. And I want to make sure everybody knows this. The single best investment I've ever made was investing in 529 college funds when my kids were infants i mean it it, when they were out of the birth canal i was investing two thousand dollars in each one of their 529 plans and i set that up and i did that and so i when you do that you don't have to invest and put money in each and every single year until they're out of high school you do it for just a few years and then it grows And you don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, now I've got two girls in college, and their college is fully paid for. And I'm talking um, their dormitories as well as their books as well as their tuition because the 529 covers all that. It even covers student housing. So I have not had to come out of pocket for any of their college expenses yet. Now, what I do is, and you all need to know this, is – I put the, the, the whole entire tuition bill, which is about $9,000 every, sem- every semester. There's two semesters in a year. So it costs me about $18,000, $19,000 a year to put them in through school each. I put that money on my credit card where I get frequent flyer miles. So I know that twice a year with $2, daughters, i am going to get 18000 frequent flyer miles. Well, then I submit a request for a reimbursement for Merrill Lynch which was where the 529s are, they cut me a check and I immediately pay off that credit card. It's that simple, but it's a way to kind of travel hack is, as I call it, you know? Um, And so I've been doing that, but anyway, that's the best investment anybody can ever make is when your children are born, invest in a 529 college fund. As far as advice, let me just say this. Um, I know you'll reference my blog spot later. It's firechecklist.net. But if they go to my blog spot, they'll find a lot of interesting blogs, uh, articles that I've written over the last several months. And one of them, and the most popular one I've ever written, is called The Art to Saying No. If any of your listeners come into a windfall, or even if they don't come into a sudden windfall like I do, but they have saved dearly their money, and now they have a nice nest egg, okay? First of all, keep it a secret. Don't let people know about it. Don't let your family, don't let your friends, don't let your neighbors, don't let anybody know you've got money. Because it, it, when you when people know you have money and it's public, you have a target on your back. And what I mean by a target on your back is everybody that wants to start a business is going to come to you to invest in this business. That's going to be like you're a human shark tank okay? Um, Your family members will want a loan. And that means if your dear sister that you love so much is married to a gambler or an alcoholic or whatever, a deadbeat, and they're going to lose their home unless you loan her $10,000, Well, you know what? We make our own bed. You need to say no to sister and don't loan her the money unless she provides collateral. If she's, if her husband's got a Rolex or she's got a couple of diamond rings or, or a boat in the driveway or something like that it's free and clear, that's one thing. But I never, ever loan money to anyone other than the one time I did, and I, I have collateral, and it's still sitting in my safe right now, his collateral, till he pays me in September of this year. Um, but my advice is don't loan money. Don't invest in these little businesses, uh, business ventures that people come up out of the woodwork with. And so I, you know, I, I don't feel I'm a selfish person. I pay tight to my church and that's important to me. Um, and when they have a special offering for something like, uh, you know, single mothers at Christmas time, you know, buying gift cards for the single mothers so they can buy things for their kids and all that. I'm all into that. And I'm generous with that. But, I'm not going to give a loan to somebody. I'm not going to, to invest in someone's you know, stupid venture. I did it. I did it. I had a friend of mine that introduced me to a chef that had a great idea. He was going to open a burger joint. I gave him $53,000 to be a 40% owner. And do you know something? I've yet to see a check. I've yet to see a dividend check yet. I have written that money off. I'll never see that money again, ever. And you know the thing is, if your friends or a family member gives you an attitude after you say no, they were never your friend to begin with, ever. That's the way I feel about it. And I'm very passionate about that. I don't want any of your listeners to take their hard-earned money, their savings, things that they're saving for, or even a windfall, if they inherit money, say their father died like mine did. My father never intended for me to take that money and loan it out to people. He would have never intended that. And and that's, and I'm going to, you know, live by that and respect his intention.
1: Well, that's awesome. You've been blessed with the, with a windfall and you've used it. It sounds like how he would have you have done it. So, so good for you.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: I just want to finish here with some, some millionaire rapid fire questions for you. So the most sure. expensive pair of jeans you've ever bought.
2: <laughs> All of my jeans come from Harley Davidson stores. Uh, um, and if you buy a three pairs at Harley Davidson, you get one pair free. They're not expensive. <laughs> They're probably like 50 bucks a piece at most, maybe with tax. A pair, two pairs of Magnani's from, uh, uh Nordstrom's. How much? I bought them both on, I bought them on Black Friday. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, one pair was three hundred forty dollars. The other pair was three hundred seventy, and I got them on sale for like ten percent off. Okay, most expensive
1: use. most expensive car, or I'm going to throw in motorcycle into this.
2: I do have a Harley Davidson. Um, a couple of years ago, I leased my wife an Audi A5.
1: Okay, most expensive meal out that you've paid for personally.
2: Oh boy, um, Del Frisco Grill last Thanksgiving had six people nobody wanted to cook we went to Del frisco grill uh (laughs) i think i spent like 540 bucks or something like that for six people it wasn't too bad it could have been a lot worse but
1: okay what's worth spending more money on to you i guess a rolex huh
2: yeah rolex and i'll say this um two things especially young people that you need to invest in you need to invest in a really good mattress and you need to invest in good shoes You've got it. Your feet are so important, and nobody takes care of their feet. You've got to wear nice shoes, either Echoes, Johnston Murphy, Kohan, something that's very, very comfortable, okay? And you've got to buy a good mattress. That is so vitally important. And I bet you, you guys believe in that, too. A good mattress will last you 15 years. It's a lot of money up front to get a good one, but you get a good one and invest in a really good mattress.
1: Okay what's been your what was your high school and college GPA:
2: Oh Lord, that's terrible <laughs> oh, uh, my GPA in high school was about a 2.0 <laughs> um, in college, about a 2.9 but yeah that's my GPAs aren't that good. I mean I'm not proud of my GPAs, but it's only <laughs> because I just never really really applied myself.
1: That's so. all right. Now you're proud of your net worth. So there you go. What was your, uh, your first job out of college and how much did you make?
2: First job out of college. I was a personal trainer. I ended up doing that for, I mean, I'm still a certified personal trainer, but I don't train anybody. I did that for three years before I got in the car business. Um, and I pay wise, it was, I, got, I charged $30 an hour at the time, and this was in 1990. Now they probably charge 70 bucks an hour. I don't even know what they charge now. It's ridiculous. Good stuff. So, so wh- wh- where do you go from here? Do you have a target net
0: worth or, or something, you know, mm-hmm. passive income you want to hit by the time you retire here in the next five years?
2: I'm going to – my goal is to retire at 55 years of age, okay? That's four years away. Um, I, I'd, be, I'd love to be about $2.5 million. Uh, let me say this i am the sole heir of my mother's estate now i don't wish that to ever happen i mean i I hope she lives to be over 100 but i'm just saying i I do have that somewhere in my future sometime and hopefully i'm an old man by that time so i'll leave something and pass it on to my children um and grandchildren but uh, to be but um i'm going to say something guys The biggest concern that I have and that we all have is health care costs. So think about this. And this is something that keeps me up at night. I'm going to retire at 55, but I'm not eligible for Medicare until I'm 65. There's no such thing as bridge insurance that's going to bridge me from 55 to 65 and and provide me affordable health care. So that is probably where the lion's share of my uh, accounts payable is going to go out every month is health care costs health insurance
0: totally where can people find out uh more about you or get in touch with you
2: um go to my website it's firechecklist.net. fire dot net that's s-i-r-e the word checklist
0: good stuff kt with a net worth of 1.9 million
2: thanks for coming on the show today Thank you very much. Please uh, email me um, uh, a link to this uh, podcast. I'd love to listen to myself one time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We will. We will. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday
2: millionaire.